This podcast about human infections of African swine fever is brought to you by two books, The Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Epidemic Cover-Up and The African Swine Fever Novel. I wrote both of these books about the threat of African swine fever to human health. The Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Epidemic Cover-Up focuses on the possibility that a virus called HHV6, which has been linked to chronic fatigue syndrome, might in fact be a form of African swine fever. The other book, the African Swine Fever novel is an Orwellian fable that uses talking pigs to explore the complicated politics of African swine fever and what happens when a society hides human infections of African swine fever. You can read a free excerpt of the Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Epidemic cover-up at cfsbook.com. That's CFS as in Chronic Fatigue Syndrome. cfsbook.com. You can read a free excerpt of the African Swine Fever novel at pignovel.com. That's pignovel.com. If you want to keep up with developments in the African Swine Fever crisis and its potential to cause a human epidemic, go to africanswinefever.com. Now here is the podcast on the possibility of human infections of African Swine Fever. In the spring 1998 issue of Medical Professionals with CFIDS, also known as Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, or CFS, a disturbing article appeared by a Dr. Thomas Glass. It should have changed the course of chronic fatigue syndrome research, but it did not. Nicholas Regish discussed Dr. Glass in his book, The Virus Within, which was published in 2000. He wrote that Dr. Glass was, quote, a pathologist and dental surgeon at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. He had also served as chief dental expert to the medical examiner of the state of Oklahoma. Among his other scientific interests was the transmission of disease, which included novel research on how bacterial, fungal, and viral diseases could be transported by the common toothbrush. Because he enjoyed medical mysteries, he had also become preoccupied with chronic fatigue syndrome, end quote. According to Regish, Glass became interested in the plight of a woman with chronic fatigue syndrome who had a cat that developed a similar illness. Glass had heard a number of stories like that woman's. He apparently thought that if animals could get CFS from people, and vice versa, it would be an important development in the history of medicine. According to Regish, Dr. Glass put together a questionnaire for CFS patients, which resulted in the research paper titled, The Human-Animal Interaction of Chronic Fatigue and Immune Dysfunction Syndrome, a look at 127 patients and their 463 animals. In his paper, Dr. Glass wrote, quote, Throughout the recognized existence of chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome, anecdotal reports have linked domestic animals with chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome, but no formal scientific studies were reported, end quote. Cats and dogs were implicated by their owners most frequently. The usual association with the presence of the animal in the household of a chronic fatigue syndrome patient, followed by the development of strange diseases or dysfunctions in the animal, many of which mimic chronic fatigue syndrome. The severity of the diseases often necessitated euthanasia. 
in a fewer number of cases, the onset of chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome in the patient was associated with an exposure to a domestic animal, which was later found to show signs of chronic fatigue syndrome, end quote. Dr. Glass studied 127 patients. 97% of them had contact with animals, mostly indoor pets. Glass wrote, quote, the conclusion of this study was that CFIDS patients not only have pets, but that there is a significant animal interaction and that a large number of these animals have atypical or unusual diseases, which at least mimic chronic fatigue syndrome, end quote. In a second study, Glass looked at 348 animals, which showed signs of either dysfunction or disease. In this study, 122 animals, mostly cats and dogs, had neurological signs. 32 animals of the neurological category had lethargy, weakness, or sleep disorders. 30 animals in the neurological category had seizures, tremors, or tail twitching. 19 animals demonstrated hind limb dragging, myalgia, arthralgia, or Bell's palsy. 16 animals were anxious, depressed, moody, or demonstrated inappropriate behavior, including urination and defecation outside their litter box. 15 animals had photophobia, ocular discharge, or blindness. 10 animals had deafness, ear sensitivity, or loss of balance, end quote. Dr. Glass concluded, quote, while the results of this study have certain subjective elements, the recurrent finding of certain symptoms that may be common to both the CFS patients and the animal warrant attention, it is important to consider the possibility that chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome may be transmitted from human to animal and or from animal to human. The results of these studies also need to alert the veterinary profession that should there be a possibility of animal-to-human transmission of chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome, veterinarians might want to consider the wearing of protective clothing, gloves, eyewear, and masks when examining animals. We have received a number of reports from veterinarians around the country, especially from female veterinarians, that they have had to substantially limit their practices due to fatigue and other chronic fatigue syndrome-like symptoms. Similarly, precautions need to be taken to prevent chronic fatigue syndrome from being transmitted from one animal to another animal, end quote. Eight years earlier, as the publisher and editor-in-chief of a newspaper in Manhattan called New York Native, I published a piece by journalist Nina Ostrom titled Murphy's Death. It began, quote, Murphy was five and a half years old when he first got sick. He became gradually worse, and less than two years later, the small, white, Maltese dog was put to sleep. Murphy's illness and subsequent death are important because one of the people in the house where he lived has chronic fatigue syndrome. Ruth, Murphy's owner, has an elevated level of antibodies to human herpes virus type 6, or HHV6. Murphy did too. Murphy suddenly mysteriously, according to Ruth, developed swollen lymph nodes in his neck as well as exhibiting unusual malaise. Murphy had always been the healthiest dog you could ever imagine, says Ruth. We just took him to the vet once a year for his shots. But then he got sick and his lymph nodes just kept swelling. They got to be the size of lemons. 
Several varieties of antibiotic were ineffective in treating the infection assumed to be causing Murphy's swollen lymph nodes. Ruth's veterinarian told her that he had never seen anything like this before. According to Ostrom, a biopsy was performed on the dog's lymph nodes. Ruth said to Ostrom, quote, the vet told us that Murphy had an autoimmune dysfunction similar to lupus. Other tests showed that he had liver and spleen damage. The vet also suspected from his behavior that Murphy had brain lesions, end quote. Finally, according to Ostrom, Murphy had to be put to sleep. Immediately afterwards, an adequate amount of blood was collected to perform some blood tests. Murphy was found to be positive for human herpes virus 6. Ostrom also reported that Ruth and her husband also had a cat and the cat developed cancer, not the fairly common feline leukemia, but a malignancy of the immune system, lymphatic cancer. Eight years before the Thomas Glass paper, Ostrom reported in the New York Native that she had learned of a number of patients with chronic fatigue syndrome that had pets that had become ill. Ostrom wondered in her piece, quote, is HHV6 the culprit? Is this virus capable of infecting more than one species? End quote. How had a little newspaper gotten so involved in the epidemic of chronic fatigue syndrome in people and their pets? I was the publisher and editor-in-chief of New York Native, a newspaper that I had launched in December of 1980. Within a matter of months, my journey to the truth about the HHV6 epidemic of chronic fatigue syndrome in people and pets began in the form of the first AIDS story published anywhere in the world. Even Wikipedia, which is notoriously unreliable, got it right when some anonymous person wrote, quote, it was the only paper in New York City during the early part of the AIDS epidemic and pioneered reporting on AIDS when most others ignored it, end quote. In Rolling Stone in 1985, David Black wrote, quote, the gay press, with the exception of the New York native, which deserves a Pulitzer Prize for its comprehensive coverage of AIDS, hasn't been much better than the straight press, end quote. In his bestseller, And the Band Played On, Randy Schultz wrote, quote, because of the extraordinary reporting of the New York native, the city's gay community had been exposed to far more information about AIDS than San Francisco in 1981 and 1982, end quote. As the 80s rolled on, our universally praised early reporting on AIDS evolved into more controversial journalism when we began to catch the Centers for Disease Control in a series of lies, which are detailed in my book, Truth to Power. In her April 1986 New York Native piece on the outbreak of AIDS in Belglade, Florida, journalist Anne Giaducci Fetner reported on Gus Sermos, who had been a Centers for Disease Control surveillance officer for two and one half years in Florida. When Gus Sermos started to raise some serious questions about what was going on in the CDC's AIDS efforts in Florida, it had inspired an investigative series of articles in the Miami Herald, and he was punished by being summarily transferred back to a temporary assignment at the CDC's headquarters in Atlanta in what appeared to be a humiliating demotion. Sermos had suggested that CDC AIDS funds were not being properly used. He told Fetner that while on the job in Florida, he had, quote, 
uncovered fraud and mismanagement, cavalier attitudes on the part of the CDC, and general lying and cheating, end quote. He also told Fetner, quote, they hired me to do surveillance, but I found out that wasn't what they wanted at all. They didn't want to know anything about what's going on. CDC AIDS officials James Curran or Harold Jaffe come down and all they want to talk about is fishing, not AIDS. When I started in Florida, I had one supervisor. Then there were two, then three. This raft of people doing nothing but waiting for my reports to come in. But those Sermos reports were not appreciated. According to Fetner, he said it was like, quote, I was digging manure and putting it on their plates, end quote. He told her, quote, 90% of what they're doing up in Atlanta is public relations. For AIDS, there are four people in the field and 40 in Atlanta. If all they are doing with AIDS is lying about it, creating subterfuge, then why not disband them? He described the scientists working on AIDS with James Curran and Harold Jaffe in Atlanta as, quote, a bunch of kids right out of medical school because it's politically so unhealthy to get involved with the CDC AIDS task force that older doctors with experience don't want anything to do with it, end quote. One of the epidemiologically embarrassing things that Sermos uncovered in his surveillance was the presence of older people in Florida who had AIDS without risk factors, which was clearly a threat to the CDC's AIDS paradigm. Sermos was accused of not asking strong enough questions to prove that the people really did belong in the CDC's politically crafted risk groups. In retrospect, it seems like Sermos may have been staring at the part of the epidemic that is now called chronic fatigue syndrome. He told Fetner, quote, I'll tell you the truth. In my wildest dreams, I would never have thought they'd get away with what those guys have gotten away with as far as just being, if nothing else, just being bad showmen. And for forgetting that the show has any substance. Basically, it's like an old vaudeville show that's been running too long. I can't believe that house of cards in Atlanta can just stand up and take all the wind. I've told my wife, and I hate admitting it, but they are totally impervious to anything. If you say something disagreeable, you're either unpatriotic or you're a kook. I'm a citizen who sees a robber running out of the store and calls the cops, and the police arrest you and lock you up for reporting a crime. I wasn't going to be a whore for them. I felt like I was a guard at Auschwitz, a traitor. But they're traitors to their profession. And James Curran, head of the AIDS Task Force on AIDS, is not a scientist by any definition. He should be selling cars like his father, end quote. What is so uncanny about this story is that his description of the CDC's behavior in the investigation of AIDS would be echoed in everything the CDC eventually did in its fake investigation of chronic fatigue syndrome. They would treat anyone who said that chronic fatigue syndrome was a serious contagious disease involving the immune system as a kook. No wonder they couldn't acknowledge that millions of Americans were getting this form of AIDS as well as their pets, like the ones described by Dr. Thomas Glass's research. 
The fact that the CDC was able to behave this way for three decades shows that powerful institutional forces were keeping Sermos's so-called House of Cards safely in place. It may have seemed like a vaudeville act, but we have to remind ourselves that there were those in Germany who didn't think the Nazi leaders would amount to much because they resembled clowns. What made these Sermos revelations so historically important was that for the first time, word was publicly coming from an insider that there was something rotten in Denmark. People on the outside with growing doubts about the integrity of the CDC and its story about AIDS were not crazy. It became clearer and clearer in our reporting in the New York Native that what the CDC was hiding was the HHV-6 epidemic, which we now know was causing illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome in people and their pets all over the world. But why? Why would the CDC lie about such a terrible thing? What was it about HHV-6 that needed to be hidden? From our reporting, HHV-6, the virus which had most likely killed Murphy the dog, was more likely to be the real evidence-based cause of AIDS than the virus HIV, which the CDC had insisted was the cause of AIDS. And if HHV-6, the virus that killed Murphy, was the real cause of AIDS, that meant that everything the CDC had told the public about the AIDS epidemic was false. That would have resulted in a total loss of credibility for the Centers for Disease Control. So what is the truth about HHV-6 that seems to have killed Murphy? The answer to that involves pigs and two scientists named Jane Tees and John Beldeckis. Back in 1983, I received a phone call from the now legendary writer John Berendt, who was then an editor at Geo Magazine. He had just read an interesting hypothesis about the cause of AIDS in New Scientist, a colorful British scientific journal that is a mixture of serious and pop science. The brief article was about a letter that had been published in one of the world's leading medical journals, The Lancet. In the letter, a young scientist in Boston named Jane Tees proposed for the first time that AIDS might be caused by African swine fever virus. She pointed out that the symptoms of AIDS closely resembled those of African swine fever. She also noted that in Haiti, which also had a growing AIDS epidemic, there was simultaneously an epidemic of African swine fever virus in pigs. She hypothesized that vacationing gay men might have contracted the disease by eating undercooked pork. I instantly thought that the theory was reasonable and should be explored. It had the ring of truth to it. I discussed the hypothesis with James DeRamo, a man with a PhD in medical ecology and infectious diseases who had become our new science reporter, and I asked him to call Tease and arrange to interview her in Boston, which he did the following weekend. I was feeling very competitive about the story. I wanted New York Native to publish the first lengthy interview with her. When DeRama got back from Boston and filled me in on her ideas, I was even more convinced that her hypothesis was the most compelling one I had heard in two years. We published his interview with Tease in the May 23, 1983 issue and started it on the cover with the headline, Is African Swine Fever the Cause? Three years after she first proposed the hypothesis that AIDS is caused by African swine fever virus, 
Jane T. succeeded in testing her hypothesis in an American laboratory with her husband, epidemiologist James Hebert, and Boston University researcher John Baldeckis, she obtained viral testing materials from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It was only because the press, mostly the New York native, had taken an interest in the matter that the USDA cooperated. Jane Tees and her two collaborators eventually obtained irradiated ASFE from Plum Island so that they themselves could test AIDS blood for the presence of the virus. They had waited months for the USDA to finally comply with their request. In the course of his ASFE experiments, Beldeckis also tested the blood from a pig from a local farm. Surprisingly, the pig's blood tested positive for African swine fever virus. When Beldeckis notified me, I called the USDA, assuming that alarms would go off because any discovery of swine fever in pigs in this country would be tantamount to a national agricultural emergency. The day after the USDA was notified, they flew three swine fever experts to Boston to consult with Beldeckis. Tease in a letter to Senator Edward Kennedy about the USDA's visit to Beldeckis wrote, quote, During their first visit, they indicated to Dr. Beldeckis that they have data from slaughterhouse surveys indicating that pigs in New York, New Jersey, and Texas have been exposed to African swine fever virus. The work by Dr. Beldeckis, however, is the first to show the presence of actual virus in a pig from the United States, end quote. Okay, so what does this have to do with HHV6, the virus that the dog Murphy was infected with? National Cancer Institute researcher Robert Gallo claimed to have discovered HHV6 in 1986, but there is reason to believe that he actually just gave African swine fever a new name. Gallo proposed that HHV6 was HIV's cofactor in AIDS. Actually, it raised the question in some circles of whether HHV6 was the cause and HIV was the cofactor. There was also the curious matter that Gallo discovered HHV6 shortly after being presented with data by a scientist that showed that African swine fever could be found in AIDS patients. I reported, quote, Dr. John Beldeckis, now the director of clinical laboratories at Boston University and one of the proponents of the theory that African swine fever virus may be the cause of AIDS, told the native, well, it's about time. He's coming around to the possibility that a DNA virus may be causing AIDS. A few years ago, I tried to tell him that when I presented my research at a formal seminar at his laboratory at the National Cancer Institute. At that time, my colleague Jane Tees and I were convinced that African swine fever virus was the critical virus for the development of AIDS. It's very curious that two or three months after I gave him some of our materials to work on, he published a paper on his new DNA virus, end quote. Beldeckis also told me, quote, no matter what HHV6 is, if these new findings are true, then you'd better stop HHV6 from replicating in AIDS patients, end quote. The great tragedy of HHV6 being found in the pets of people with chronic fatigue syndrome is that it connects chronic fatigue syndrome to the AIDS epidemic. Politically, that is bad enough, but it gets worse when you acknowledge the very distinct possibility that HHV6 is really African swine fever, one of the biggest threats to the pork industry. So unbeknownst to most people with chronic fatigue syndrome who have sick pets, 
The reason the truth can't be told about the underlying infection is that it has more to do with the pork industry and the USDA than the CDC and the NIH. The CDC and NIH may have their hands tied because the pork industry and the USDA would never willingly cooperate in the work needed to get to the bottom of the connection between HHV6, pigs, chronic fatigue syndrome, AIDS, and African swine fever. Thank you for listening to this podcast on the possibility of human infections with African swine fever. This podcast about human infections of African swine fever is brought to you by two books, The Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Epidemic Cover-Up and The African Swine Fever Novel. I wrote both of these books about the threat of African swine fever to human health. The Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Epidemic Cover-Up focuses on the possibility that a virus called HHV6, which has been linked to chronic fatigue syndrome, might in fact be a form of African swine fever. The other book, The African Swine Fever Novel, is an Orwellian fable that uses talking pigs to explore the complicated politics of African swine fever and what happens when a society hides human infections of African swine fever. You can read a free excerpt of the Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Epidemic cover-up at cfsbook.com. That's CFS as in Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, cfsbook.com. You can read a free excerpt of the African Swine Fever novel at pignovel.com. That's pignovel.com. If you want to keep up with developments in the African swine fever crisis and its potential to cause a human epidemic, go to africanswinefever.com.